Welcome to the Abbot Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. We're in the middle of Types of Christ. We've been working through some of the Old Testament stories and lives of people where we see Jesus come alive. We see Jesus on the scene. We see the Messiah uh, and, and his mission just come alive to us and what God's new covenant purpose for uh, the, this, whole, uh, this whole thing was all about. And so we saw Abraham and Isaac going up on the mountain. And here's Isaac carrying the wood. He's carrying literally the wood or the cross, like Jesus carried the cross up the very same mountain Jesus was crucified. Isaac is carrying wood for his own sacrifice. God said, I will give you my son. He promised son. Abraham had a promised son. Jesus was the promised son. And Abraham was supposed to sacrifice his son. But God said, no, you don't have to do that. I'll send my son. I'll provide the sacrifice. Did it on the same mountain. Amazing. And then we see Jesus is the Passover lamb. And we saw this in the story of the Exodus where God is delivering the Israelites. And, and he, he says, put the blood of the lamb over each doorpost. And the lamb had to be spotless and perfect. And because of that, God passed over the sin of the people and death did not come to them. And Jesus is our Passover lamb. Death does not come to us when we look and we receive Jesus. What a great gift. Amen? Then we see uh, Jesus as Emmanuel. Oh, no, the water, right? There we go, the water, right? I'm on it. He's the living water, and this is the rock at Horeb where he, Moses strikes the rock, and then water comes out, all right? Then he strikes, then he goes, and God tells him to speak to the rock, and instead he strikes it twice, and he gets in trouble the, because Jesus was only supposed to be struck one time for the sin of all the world. And out of him came living waters. And living water came and provided water for all the Israelites where they were at, and they all survived, and life came. And Jesus said, if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. He also said, if you eat of me, you'll never hunger again, right? And so anyway, we saw Jesus come on the scene as God Emmanuel, God with us. And we preached that on uh, the uh, Christmas, whatever, Eve, yeah, right? I want to say Easter for some reason. Christmas Eve. He fulfilled this promise. Jesus actually came as a real person and he lived and he died for our sin and he brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. But this, this other passage that talks about he is the bread of life. Mariah preached a message last week. She crushed it. She did a phenomenal job. Jesus is the bread of life. So we never thirst again and then we eat of him. And, and Jesus was the manna in the desert. Divine nourishment from heaven that came down to feed us. Jesus is everything you need. He's all the nourishment you need. And he wants us to not despise and reject his provision. Amen? Today we're going to talk about Jesus is high and lifted up. He's high and lifted up. He's high and lifted up, church, man. We lift him up. We see this crazy, amazing story again with Moses and the Israelites. And it was after uh, Moses got in trouble for striking the rock. And then we also see uh, striking the rock twice. Um, we see uh, Aaron pass on his priesthood to his son. And this, so this is pretty deep into the story here of the Israelites traveling around the desert in their 40-year wilderness season. And they're pretty close, actually, to getting into the promised land. Now remember, the reason they're traveling around in the desert is because they rejected the promised land to begin with. You know, it's funny how sometimes we don't like the way God provides. I think we think there's
there should be some sort of, it should just feel better. But it just doesn't. If you think about it, when you need a miracle, it's because you're in distress. When, when they needed special food from heaven, it was because they were hungry. Does, when you're hungry, does that feel good? No. It doesn't feel good. When they were in Egypt and they needed deliverance, they were in slavery and being whipped and beaten and having to do double time with no straw to make bricks. That's the context of the deliverance when they come out of Egypt. Slaves. Look, when you and I get our miracle, when you and I receive the blessing of the Lord, it doesn't just come free and clear. Yes, it's a freely given gift, but I'm saying it has tension with it. Suffering. Hard things. Stuff we need. Hunger pains. Hunger pains. You're in need. We're in need. And see, the Israelites, I think some of us, we're like them. All of us, at times, are like them. Where we have, a, we have a wrong expectation of what we're expecting life to be like. And we think that, oh, with God, and I'm walking in prosperity, and I'm walking in the joy of the Lord, and all these things, that it's going to feel good. Wrongo. It's not going to feel good. It's going to kind of hurt. Life hurts. Life's hard. And in the midst, it's in the midst of that difficulty where we find Jesus. It's in the midst of that suffering and those hunger pains where we see him. And I love what Mariah said last week. If man, they just would stop complaining, they would have found that joyous surprise or provision and it would have been unbelievable if they just would have trusted instead of whine and complain and played the victim. You can say it, uh-oh. Listen, if you and I have the wrong perspective, we play the victim. Oh, it's all these outside circumstances that are always doing this stuff to me. And the Israelites are looking at the wrong thing. Rather than the provision of the Lord and the trust in the Lord, and he is their provider, they're looking at the circumstances around them. How many times do they play this tape? Listen to it. How many times have you heard this when you read the Old Testament? And all of the examples we've already read, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea. Look, they travel all over the place. They're traveling in a new spot. Is it the terrain that causes them to whine and complain? No, they whine and complain anywhere they want, any road they want on. Oh, this road is so hard and terrible. Oh, well, the other road was hard and terrible. Every road they're on just happens to be hard and terrible. They go around Edom, but the people grew impatient. Can you grow impatient anywhere you want? Yep. They spoke against God, uh-oh, and against Moses. So they started at the top and worked their way down. Bad idea. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Here again, they're complaining about the provision of God. And you know, they didn't understand that the provision of God, like Moses didn't understand when he was supposed to speak to the rock, it was a type of Christ. It was the way the Messiah was supposed to come. When the, when the heavenly bread came down, the manna, the wood is it, that came down from heaven, that was Jesus coming down. And they're speaking against God himself by saying they don't like the manna, they don't like the water, they don't like the road, they don't like the way God's leading them and providing for them. 
They didn't understand the deeper meaning of what God was doing. He was sending his son. He was sending Jesus into the world and he was foreshadowing it through their circumstances. And see, look, they, the, the Israelites did the same thing when the actual Messiah came on the scene. When Jesus comes on the scene, we see all the Pharisees and all of the religious leaders and people go, you know what, Gee, I don't like God the way you're sending your Messiah. I don't like it. And he was despised and rejected by men. The same way the provision in the desert was despised and rejected. The same way the promised land was despised and rejected. They didn't like the way it felt. Oh, this should feel a little bit better. How come it's not easier? We're still walking through the desert on a horse with no name. Right? And they look in under the promised land. And they're like, well, that's not good enough. There's giants in there. It's not good enough? Okay, wander in the desert for 40 more years, and now we're going to look back at it and see if it's good enough. Sometimes we need perspective. Maybe we're looking at the wrong things. Maybe our expectations are a little off track, and because they're off track, we're looking for the wrong things, expecting different things or the wrong things, and we miss the provision of God. We miss the miracle, and we miss the Messiah. We miss Jesus himself. I don't want to miss Jesus in the midst of my suffering. And when I'm hungry, I want to see him. If I'm thirsty, I want to see him. Come on. If I'm needy, I want to see him. If I'm sick, I want to see him. Look at what happens. These guys get in, get in big trouble. Kind of like Moses got in trouble for striking the rock. He's like, eh, you don't get to go in. He's you, dang it. Shouldn't have done that. Because he messed up the way Jesus was coming. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people. And many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on the pole, and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, and he put it up on the pole. And when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Wow. They asked for him to take away the snakes, and what did he do? He didn't take away the snakes. He made a pole. He provided a way for them to be delivered from the snakes but the snakes didn't go away. See, we pray for what we want or what we think we need. God, remove this temptation from me. Remove this difficulty from me. See, they go, oh God, take away the hunger. He provides manna. That's not the same thing. He didn't just take away the hunger or let them have food the way they wanted. He provided what they needed in the way he wanted because he's God and he has a sovereign plan. He has a bigger plan than just your wants. He does. And what you think through your wants, you need. See, if you look at your needs through your wants, you've already distorted your lens. Well, you can chew on that one for a while, right? If you look at your needs through your wants, you've, just, you've already distorted your lens. Because your needs are not really but your wants. How about the purpose of God? God, I want to look at my needs through the purpose of God. I want to look at my needs through your sovereign plan for my life and beyond my life, your sovereign plan for this world. That'll change what you need. 
It's very interesting. They pray for this, and then God kind of does what he had planned to do. He goes, okay, that's fine, but I'm going to show up. I'm going to show Jesus. I'm going to show you my son one more time. And so he has a bronze snake, and he lifts it up. See, Jesus, like the bronze snake, must be high and lifted up. See, this, the bronze snake on that pole, again, represents the cross, of which Jesus himself was hung on. John 3, 13. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven, and as Moses lifted up the snake on the pole in the wilderness, this is Jesus preaching to the disciples, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. How many? Everyone. everyone. Who? Everyone. Everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. This is how he loved the world. This is how he loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Jesus must be high and lifted up just like that bronze serpent in the desert, man. This is about the cross. And what did the cross purchase for you? What did Jesus purchase for you on the cross? Can you believe God would have worked all these details out so many years before? Jesus could have never made all this happen. But God ordained it from the beginning of time that he would send his son for you and I. John 12, 27 says, Jesus says this, my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. He came to that moment in time. And he says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and that heard it said that it had thundered others said that an angel had spoken to them. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not for mine. Now is the time for the judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Come on, Jesus is high and lifted up. The cross purchased some things for you. We see one thing here, he he says another place, he snatches back the keys or the power from Satan. He, he got power from us when the fall happened. He sort of took ownership of the world that we were supposed to have dominion of. And Jesus comes back and says, now all power and authority has been given to me, and now I give it back to you. By his grace, by his way, we can't despise and reject the way that God wants to bring his provision, that God wants to bring his Messiah. He brought his Savior to you and I, the Christ, the Savior of the world, to you and I the way he wanted because he knew it can't work any other way. And he also wanted us to know how much he dearly loved us because on the cross we see what he took upon himself, that snake that was lifted up, that bronze snake that was lifted up in that story, it, it extracted something. But it happened 
by in a simple process. Jesus says, he says, I want my yoke to be easy, my burden to be light. I want to give that to you and I want to take your heavy burden. I want to make this exchange very easy. And all we have to do, like in the story, the, they, the, the snakes come all among them and all they have to do is look to, G, look to the snake. They look up at it and that's all they needed to do was look at the snake that was high and lifted up and they were delivered. The snakes didn't go away. No, the poison just didn't affect them anymore. But all they had to do was look at it. And like that with Jesus, John 6:40, for my father, father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. We also get raised up with Jesus in the last day. But it's simple. All you have to do is look to him. He says, believe I'm God. Confess me with your mouth. Believe in your heart that I'm God and you will be saved. That simple. Wow. He showed it back here. He wanted to show it back way back. So we'd always know it's going to be simple. Grace is what's going to save you, not your works. Grace is what's going to save you, not your works. So many times we want to just work it, don't we? I like to work it, work it. I like to work it, work it. No. We, we get this wrong perspective that we have to make this work happen and we despise the way God wants to save us. That's too easy. It's too easy. Oh, it just can't be that easy that he would just do it for us and no matter how much I sin, I just have to look to him, that's it. Look to him, that's it. Yes, that's it. That's how good he is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He wanted to show the world how much he loved you, how much he loved me. By that act, he doesn't need work. He doesn't need sacrifice. He wants your heart. And he wants maximum engagement in relationship. He wants everyone. He wishes that none would perish. So he made it easy. Hebrews 12:1. therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Look to him, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before him. Look, suffering and hurts and hunger and pain and life, all of that does not dictate whether or not you and I operate in the joy of the Lord. Jesus experienced joy when he was about to take on the weight of the sin of the world and have his body beaten and be crucified. He experienced joy because joy is found in your purpose with God, not in the circumstances around you. If you're looking at circumstances, you're gonna get disappointed. If you and I have expectation that the circumstances being right around us, like, oh, we're never gonna be hungry, we're never gonna be in the desert, it's never gonna be hard, it's never gonna be hot. It's never gonna snow again. It's, it, it's always gonna be perfectly light and 79 degrees. Heaven, okay, only. Earth, no, the joy of the Lord is not subject to such things. 
The joy of the Lord is not dictated by such things. The joy of the Lord is about you fulfilling your purpose in the midst of any kind of suffering, hunger, thirst, disappointment. That's the joy of the Lord. Jesus found the joy of the Lord as he went to the cross. And in the midst of all that pain and all that suffering and whatever else is going on, you see the miracles of God happen. They happen in the midst of that tension. In the bedrock of suffering comes miracles and healing. And so there's always going to be this polarization where we see the goodness of God. You can always see the goodness of God even in a prison camp. You can see the goodness of God in anything everywhere he never will leave you or forsake you that's his promise you will be in eternity with him if you just look to him that's all you have to do nothing can separate you from the love of God nothing see the promise that he's giving you is that he'll always be with you he'll always be with you until the end of the age I don't know about you but I'd rather have that promise than never suffer I'd rather always have Jesus if I just look to him than to be alone. That's the worst kind of punishment there ever could be is to be alone. But boy, all we have to do is look to him. And like Christ, we need to keep our eyes fixed on the prize. Jesus' prize was us. Our prize is him. Jesus' prize was us. Our prize is him. For the joy set before you is Jesus. Just like him lifted up, we look to him like, like the snake in the desert. We look to Jesus as our savior. He's what we have to have our eyes fixed on to persevere. And boy, I promise you do that, you're gonna experience his joy always. Jesus removes sin. He removes all sin. Look in this, in, in this story, we see all of the snakes coming around and they don't get taken away, but they're biting them. And the venom goes inside of them. The snake bites them and the poison goes in. And it's in their veins. It's in their being. You can't get it out. Once that happens, it doesn't get extracted. Okay? It's, they're stuck. They need an antidote. They need an antidote. They need something to counteract the venom or extract the venom supernaturally. And when that bronze snake went up, it said no matter when they got bit. Some of these guys probably got bit more than one time. They're like, I'm going back to look at the snake. Could these snakes go away? I just keep staring at it all day. The serpent represents the devil, always has, always will. In the garden, we see that a devil is a serpent. Throughout all of the Old and New Testament, he's referred to as the evil serpent. Even in Revelation, we look and see him as that ancient serpent. Okay? The devil is the snake. The sin is his venom. And he's going around just trying to get you. He'll bite you anywhere you let him. You get that venom. It's in us. You're actually born into that kind of sin. All right? Because the enemy, he had, he had dominion and power. And the only way he has it now is if you allow him to and you don't look to Jesus. That's it. Otherwise, you look to Jesus. Now you have all power and authority. Sin can be and will be driven out if you look to Jesus. So when they look to Jesus, all of a sudden, the venom is gone, but the snake is still there. The snake is still out there, folks. He's not taken away yet. He's still out there slithering around. He'll bite anybody he can. And you might be snake bitten today. You need to look to Jesus. Sometimes we allow sin back in our life, and we allow that snake to bite us, and we stop looking at Jesus, and maybe we don't experience eternal 
separation from God, but we're now experiencing the poison, that venom in our personal lives. And Jesus is like, just look to me. Stop looking to that sin. It's never going to satisfy you. It's poison. Any lie the enemy is trying to bring to you, any worldly thing the enemy is trying to bring to you, he is trying to bring it, and that thing is going to cost you. It will cost you your life, because the sin brings death, is what the Bible promises us. But Jesus brings life, and Jesus removes sin like the venom. All they had to do was look at him, and they got free from the effects of the poison because of Jesus. Jesus also became sin. On the cross, this is one thing that blows my mind, is I can't believe Jesus actually became sin for us. Now, we don't see this directly in this story, but maybe this happened. Because this happened with Jesus in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All the weight of sin actually went on Jesus. So maybe in this story, maybe all the venom, the poison actually went to that bronze snake. It would make sense. But in your life and my life, that venom is extracted when we look to Jesus. And you know what? It doesn't just go nowhere. It went into Jesus himself, and then he paid for it all at one time. One sacrifice that paid for it all. But your God loved you so much, he didn't just take your sin and cast it away. He took it on himself for the payment. This is on purpose because sacrifice communicates the measure of love. The weight of the sacrifice increases the measure of love, doesn't it? When someone, no greater gift or sacrifice can a person make than to lay down their life for their friend. If I give my life for you, literally, you're going to feel that love, aren't you? That person gave up their life for me. Yeah. No greater gift could God ever give than to take the weight of all the sin, actually become it for us, even though he never sinned. So Jesus never sinned, but he became sin, and then he paid for sin. He took out the thing that was killing them. Removed it. Jesus removed the very thing that was killing you. Jesus also, this is such a cool thing, he's your deliverer, he frees you from sin, but he also is your healer. Isn't that amazing? That God also heals you. He sets you free from your sin and delivers you, and then he heals you too. Luke 6, 19, everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him and he healed everyone. See, Jesus loves to deliver. I didn't know how else to really do this, but here's a bunch of the, every reference that I could find where Jesus healed. Here's a couple slides. The nobleman's son in John. The disabled man, he healed him. A leper, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Peter's mother-in-law, paralyzed man. And he healed a man with a withered hand. The centurion's servant wasn't even there. Demoniacs all over the place, healing people with demons. The blind and the mute. Women with the issue, a woman with the issue of blood, many sick, the daughter of the Syrian Phoenician woman, a woman with an infirmity, 10 lepers. This guy healed everybody. Look at this, Psalms 103.1. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Here's the benefits, folks. 
who forgives all your sin. He forgives all your sin and heals all your disease. There is no disease he cannot heal. There's no sin he cannot extract. Come on, he is the healer and he's the savior. And it's all because he was high and lifted up. He says, if I am lifted up, I will draw them into me. When he was high and lifted up and drawing all men to him, it's not just about, oh, we magnify Jesus, talking about the cross, specifically referring to that he would be put on a cross for you and I, and you and I would be fully healed, fully delivered. Look at what Isaiah says, Isaiah 45, or Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Do you need healing today? You look to Jesus. Do you need salvation today? You look to Jesus. That's all you have to do. And Isaiah 45, 22, as we close with this, I want you to hear this. He says, this is the prophet. Before Jesus even came, he says, let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God there is no other. Like the Israelites in the desert, there was no other way they were gonna be saved. No other way they were gonna be saved unless they looked at that bronze serpent that was hanging up on that cross. Come on. You and I, no way that you and I will ever be saved unless we look to Jesus. He says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, we've all fallen short. And the simplest thing is that we look to Jesus and we confess he's God and we believe in our heart he's God and we'll be saved. You might need to have a shift in your sin life. Okay? There might be some sin in your life that's taking you over and you've got to shift well. You can't shift here and fall into toxic shame and beat yourself up. Because now you're looking to you and your yoke is heavy. You can't pay for your sin. You can't beat yourself up for your sin. You gotta keep looking to Jesus and walk away from your sin. That's it. If you start looking at your sin and beating yourself up, the devil wins again. He bites you again. You're trying to do Jesus' job. You can't do it. We need a shift because when we shift what we look at, the righteousness of God pours into our life. Always looking to what we don't have. Always looking to what didn't go just perfect. Always looking to how we've come up short. If we're looking at all those things, we fall into complaining and whining and being victims like the Israelites. And look, we need a shift. We don't want to be a church like that. We want to be a church that looks at Jesus in the midst of everything not just being perfect and everything in our life not going exactly the way we think it should. Who the heck are we to say how it should or shouldn't go? God led his Isra the Israelites into the desert to be hungry. Is he leading you to be hungry? He might be leading me to be hungry right now. My job is to look to him and trust him. Come on, we need a shift. Let's pray. If that's you, just begin to turn your heart over to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me for my sin, for looking to myself, looking at my circumstances, expecting other people to do something for me that, that, they, that they could never do. God, you're in charge, you're in control, and I, I repent for my sinful, whiny, uh, complacent, or complaining attitude, and for looking at the wrong things. And I, God, forgive me for my sin in any context where I was looking to the world to satisfy my needs. You're the only one who satisfies my need. You're the only one who satisfies my real thirst and hunger. It's you, Jesus. I look to you, and I just turn to you, and I walk away from my sin, and I deny toxic shame in my life. 
I will not beat myself up over this. I'm going to run into your arms, and I'm going to receive your mercy and your grace that's new for me today in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.